Welcome back to Innovation Deciphered. We hope you enjoyed the last episode and if you did please make sure to subscribe so you are the first to know when we have a new episode. In this episode we are joined by Paul Lowe who is a partner at Kennedy's Law and so we have been able to get a unique legal perspective on innovation in construction. We will discuss technology and the legal issues surrounding data and innovation in contracting methods and how you construct your offer as well as the consideration of future legal requirements with regards to sustainability and the importance of innovating, but doing so with safety and sustainability in mind. Well, Paul, I've got some, I'm interested in hearing what you've got to say uh, about innovation in construction. I know obviously that's your special subject, particularly of course from your perspective from the, the legal side of things and I'm wondering what are, your, what are you seeing particularly around risk? Thanks for asking the questions and thanks for having me on today. Um, of course you know, innovation is you know, it's essential for, for the world I'm, I'm operating in and there are a number of drivers to that, you know, the financial drivers for that, the drivers around sustainability and net zero and all of this filters through to how the construction world and its allied professions are going to have to change and innovate and um, so there's quite a lot to get into there. I think perhaps a couple of initial thoughts to just for our discussion. Um, I just want to pick off some of the things that was perhaps most prominent. So let's have a little think about some of the modern methods, construction, and materials. Um, I put that in the context of sustainability. Yeah, because as a, it's a hot topic. We've all know where we've got to go in not too distant future, and, and the regulation of the legal world, which is which is pushing that change. And uh, so it's great to see the construction world being a, a little bit more open to do things differently, use of different types of computers, different types of technology on site, um, and materials as well. Now, look, I'm a lawyer, and I deal in risk, and we don't like things that are particularly new because they're un unknown and they might pose challenges and different risks, which we're not yet happy with. So part of what the legal world needs to do is to become a little bit more familiar and satisfied that when you start to adopt new technologies, they're going to be safe and they're going to be properly regulated. Otherwise, we end up with, you know, you don't have to look too far to see some of the problems we've had in the last six, seven years with technology and materials that perhaps were innovative at the time, but came with some safety concerns as well. So we need to get comfortable with that from a legal perspective. Um, so just let me home in on one of those subtopics that mm. you spoke about is the technology on site, for instance. Now, some of the stuff I'm seeing involves gathering huge amounts of data, often about how people and plant are moving. Yeah. And there must be all sorts of legal issues that have had to be resolved or in the process of being resolved. Absolutely. I mean, there's, um, so you, you touched upon the use of data, and there's huge amounts of data which come, comes out of, of live projects. And um, so part of that is keeping that secure, and part of that is filtering it to what you actually want to use, and how it's going to be helpful on, a, you know, on a, any given basis. Um, from a risk perspective, I think that, you know, the, key, the key thing is. How do you secure that material? How do you deploy it? And how do you make sure that it's not put to, to use by people you don't want necessarily want to get access? 
to, to that type of data on life objects. I'm particularly, I'm particularly interested in how that features into to risks and claims and how the material might ultimately become um, useful in, in the course of um, a dispute, let's say, um, how it might be deployed now. You know, the, the legal world is sometimes a little bit slow to innovate, and particularly the, you know, the regulatory world. And uh, you know, we've, there's lots and lots of data protection regulation out there. I imagine that probably comes as something as an incumbent, perhaps, to to people on site. Do, do we fully understand and um, how the data can be maintained and used? I guess perhaps not. Um, but you know, the lawyers like to think about things through very black and white um, lenses. Um, and you know, really, I think the reality is risk on site isn't quite as black and white as all that. Um, so I think the legal world past is a little bit of catching up to do, Tim, before we, um, you know, we're quite ready to be quite as innovative as, uh, as some of our clients are. Um, but are you seeing that um, geolocation data being used now in claims? I think we're probably a little bit away from that just yet. Um, and I've, I've not seen that type of material being, being used in that context just now, but it's, you know, it's only a matter of time. Can only be a matter of time? Yeah, absolutely. Because you know, what it will give you is you know, precise data about what was being done at a particular point in time. And um, you know, once upon a time, I was trawling through site records and looking at what's happening in meeting minutes. And, and um, if we can be less subjective and more precise, Absolutely, you know, that type of material will be you know, be essential. It will enable you to say on a day-to-day -day basis what was being done minute by minute. And um, you know, that's a, the, the challenge then is how does that become manageable because there's so much material. Uh, and as I say, I'm not sure the legal industry is quite yet at the stage where we can um, we can deploy that. When I've been out of contracting for some time, but I did spend all of my formative years in contractors of one type or another and I'm I've all often considered would surely now with uh, the modeling that's available contractors can say this is I can prove this is exactly the best sequence to pile that site and if we don't get access so that we can the machine can follow this particular path it's going to be less efficient and therefore we want some uh, have you seen that? Yet? Yeah, well, look, you know, there's um, you know, programming sequencing is still, dare I say, a bit of a dark art. And you will find that any number of experts will have different opinions as to the route which ought to have been planned and you know, when you have variations on site, how to impact programs. So I do think, as I say, that if, you, if we can spare, if you have specific data points available, it just makes that whole process ex post facto easier. You know, you can you say you can point on a day-to-day -day basis. Well, this is what's happening here, and I can prove it because we've got this range of data which will demonstrate what's happening at that point in time. And, uh, so I think that will be um, increasingly important. It'll be, it'll be important to capture that, and in due course, important to be able to measure it and deploy it. Um, but as I say, I think that's still a relatively embryonic phase in, in, in its development, particularly in the context of risk and construction. Um, but I, you know, there's no question it will be. As, um, as time goes by. Yeah, I'm, I'm certainly well. It's very. Yeah, I can I can see the likelihood of innovation in contracting methods 
if, if, I don't mean actually the physical methods, but how you construct your offer and how something is procured. Yeah. Will, well, it's going to go through a I profound change. It, it becomes a differentiator, doesn't it? So the contractors will be, you, have, you, hold, you already have to show how your innovation to be able to, to win jobs. And it's just going to become more, more important. Um, you know, it links into what we said about sustainability. You know, how do you make a project um, carbon neutral? And that is, you know, it's a critical question which is being asked on all new projects. You have to be able to demonstrate that. And, uh, so that's what I'm saying about innovation, and particularly when it comes to using new materials, because you know, we have to, at the same time as uh, the, this, this, com this compulsion to get on and make sure that we're doing things in a, in a low carbon way, we have to make sure that that's, uh, we're minimizing the risks associated with it. And look, from a, from a legal perspective, there's a whole load of new new stuff coming down the line. So you know, you'll be very familiar with the safety arts and some of the things that's doing at the moment. Um, it's introducing, amongst many other things, a construction products regulator, which will take a much closer eye on the types of products which are being deployed on projects. And there's substantial enforcement tools available to that regulator as well. So if materials don't to meet the relevant requirements, then they won't be used and there can be other sanctions. Um, so I think that you know, the regulators will be will play a more important part in, in measuring innovation and checking it. Um, and I say that's a reaction to perhaps some of the mistakes of the past when new products and materials are made their way to market. But the regulator bit is a bit more difficult to get right. Because this new, is it the UK Kite mark to replace CE. There was some teething trouble there at the moment, as apparently a lot of products get withdrawn. Yeah, yeah. I think there's there's there's, there's something there's some, there's something in that. Tim, but I, as I've said to to, to other people and I've had discussions on these issues, um, when we have a new regulator in place, um, that regulator will take a relatively tough line, I expect, as to how products are marketed, make their way to industry. Uh, and the ambition, of course, being a safer, more sustainable and reliable industry which is being created as a, as a result. Um, so I'm kind of optimistic about how that will work. I say it does play into innovation because you know, it's great to be innovative, we need to be. At the same time, we also need to ensure that what we're doing is sustainable and safe. And um, you know, sometimes I think regulation will play a part in that. So that maybe that's a plug for the lawyers here, Tim. <laughs> Making sure I'm not doing myself and others in my, my profession out of the job, but uh, I think we might have a bit of a role in. in I thought it was a um, gold, golden opportunity for the uh, lawyer and professional. Well, I wouldn't like to say that to your words, not mine. But I mean, that Construction Act, uh, the Safe Building Safety, and all that, that's, I, mean, I know it's only just become yeah. uh, law, but it's at the start of the journey, not the end. Isn't Absolutely, it? it's a long journey to. to, to, to to go through all of that, and um, you know, you can speak fast about what's, what's going to happen. All I would say on, on that particular topic is that the ambition is to have a sustainable, safe industry, and there's a legal process which is going to support how we get there. Yeah. And there's a little way to go here. So just let's just move on a little bit to take up that sustainability topic, because we're filming this a few weeks before COP. 27, mm. which I think is in Egypt, isn't it? Yeah, indeed, yeah, yeah. Is it Sharm El Sheikh or something like that? You've been there, haven't you? I've not, actually. 
I've been to Glasgow the last one. <laughs> I didn't go to that, but I've been to Glasgow. But it's in the news now as we're filming. Um, so what are you seeing there around the sustainability and the getting to net zero? Yeah, it's important. Um, you sometimes forget the role which the construction world in particular um, has to play in, in achieving, achieving that ambition um, and that commitment. Um, I haven't got the data to, in my fingertips, but I was looking recently just at the amount of carbon which is, which is produced in the course of concrete works and production and use of concrete. And it's, it's massive, it's monumental. And, um, so, you know, we have to do things differently. And, and concrete is the obvious example, I think, of ways which we can, we can do things in a more sustainable, low carbon way. Um, we recently had discussions with various people in, in the industry about um, reuse buildings, when they come to the end of life phase, how can we redeploy buildings, use and refurbish them in a manner which keeps our carbon locked into that building, um, at the same time we're, you know, we're bringing in some of the technology to make that building, create a building which is, still has those carbon neutral um, attributes. Um, so that I think is, is, is a really interesting thing, actually, in my view. Um, Anyway, I, I, I guess in, in the future we're going to see more and more of that type of discussion taking place. Uh, is it? Is it? Well, the question I guess is: Is it? Will it be a more sustainable approach to to reuse, recycle, refurbish rather than demolish and start again? I, I, there's, there seems to be two school of thought. Well, I think it would be on a case by case basis. Mm -hmm. We've had many episodes of our, of season two and three of the construction mm -hmm. breakfast as the precursor to this where people have talked about how particularly offices uh, and yeah. mixed use in cities, how the, the, what's required of the buildings has changed. Yeah, you know, COVID, if nothing else, has changed the way people work. It's changed people's perception of, of building, um, the whole sick building syndrome thing has come to much higher level now, but worried about what they're breathing in. Uh, and so there's lots of buildings around London which in, in times past, people say it's life expired, knock it down, we yeah. build it to the top latest spec. But now, because the market's very different anyway, you're right, there's, there's what can we do to that building to bring it up to a, an excellent standard, but without having to knock the frame down, without perhaps having to completely start from scratch. Because the amount of embedded carbon that's already there, which you don't need to replicate, is high. Um, Absolutely. And I think that's really, really interesting. Because yeah, we, before we started this, we were talking about our own experience of this office that we're sat in filming this. And it's when we moved in six years ago, we thought it was brilliant, state of the art. But now, ways of working change, the things we want to do, like studio within it, it's suboptimal. Mm. Building's exactly the same, but the acoustics aren't right for us now. They aren't right for this, they aren't right for the way people want to work now, running workshops remotely and things like that. So how now so yeah, we've got the same dilemma as every other yeah. client it's out there. Do you move or do you retrofit? It's it's and retrofit is not an easy thing to, to get right. It has its challenges. You speak to designers on this topic and they will they'll tell you how easy it is to, 
to make mistakes when you're better at fitting. And more the things, I guess, from this perspective is to look at you inherit a building at the end of life. It comes with baggage. How do you how do you ensure that you know what the baggage is, and <laughs> that you're not inheriting things that you weren't you didn't even know were present in some of those buildings? So I think it's it's a, it's a, in theory it's a brilliant way of showing you 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 the lot in carbon stays stays locked in. Cited the example of this demolition rebuild, which is a thing we've always done in the past. But it's more difficult now, I think, and making sure we can get refurbishment right um, is no easy task. A lot of it comes down to making sure you invest in that processing early. You know, you, you spend time, and maybe this is, again there's a link here to, to innovation, um, you spend time understanding the building. And look, again, I'm a lawyer, so one of the things that we're starting to see with some of the new legislation is this passing on of information all the way through from early outset design, construction, post-construction, occupation, maintenance, end of life. Now, you know, in the ideal world, then, um, you're going to end up with a, a pot of information at the end of that process. And when you get to end of life, you'll know what, what the building what's happened to it. You know, it'll be like an almost like an organic, an organic thing. Um, that's, that's the ideal world. We'll see if we get there, but it will make that process of refurbishment and recycling and locking carbon an easier one and a better one if we have that type of data. This is the golden thread. Absolutely. Idea. It's yeah. the golden thread idea. And um, it's a noble ambition. And I'd be very keen to see, and I think everybody would be very keen to see that, see that work in the way it's designed. I know we've got a few enthusiasts for that in our business, so that it's a hot topic of conversation. And of course, it's not only having the data, but ensuring that it's uh, it hasn't been tampered with. Yeah, is all people talking about blockchain and all sorts of things. You just need the integrity of what's there. It's the integrity of what you, the information you inherit. But if you're thinking about this in, in, in touching on sustainability, if you're thinking about it from that perspective. Absolutely key that you know what you're hurting at the end of life in particular, because otherwise it makes that process more difficult, more risky, and you end up employing people like me to fix it for you, which is not something you want to be doing on a, want to do on a regular basis. Now, just coming on to that, Paul, we, we've obviously we've spoken about innovation in construction and how uh, that impacts on technology deployment and sustainability now and gaining trying to get the net zero and the golden thread and all those sorts of things. But of course, A, I mean, from a lawyer's perspective, there's sort of two types of things you get involved with. is either contentious or non-contentious. What about innovation around lawyering itself? The, you know, the one I've heard about, obviously there's AI and mm. machine learning. I've heard of something called e-discovery. Are you... Are you getting involved in that yeah, kind of stuff? Well, this is, you know, people have been saying for some time we'll be able to do away with lawyers and put robots in their, in their place. So I hope we get to that stage at some point, but not before I finish my, my career. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Innovation is, really, is a really key thing in, in the legal industry for various reasons. Partly because, we, depending upon the area, we deal with lots and lots of data. Some of it's useful, some of it's not. And machines can deal with that process more quickly and more cost-effectively in many instances than, 
and recount. So you touched upon what e-discovery and the various um, deployments, those types of tools. Can we just, uh, for the benefit of our viewers, we just say what e-discovery is? is it, it? It's about using a, an electronic platform to um, review documentation, to sift documentation, to find what you want. And there are various levels of human input required. So there might, in certain instances, be um, very heavy human input, and in other ways, less heavy human input, depending upon what yeah, the output you're, you're looking for. But it's a way of um, sifting through information to find you know, the, the smoking gun or whatever it is you're, you're, you're looking for. And it's, um, it's commonplace, in it? it's used to commonplace in the legal world. I've also heard that uh, there's one or two contractors using this software themselves to help them formulate claims. Yeah, it's, absolutely, because it, it, what it offers you is savings in time and cost, and you don't need necessarily to have as much of the human input that we would have done in, in day gone, days gone by. And equally, um, the format in which the material is presented is just a bit more user-friendly. It's not sitting in a room with, uh, full of files for two weeks, which I did when I was a trainee, uh, actually more than two weeks. Um, so it means that the, the formula you're looking at it is um, it's more user-friendly and potentially more, more cost-effective as well. So that's a, something which we've been using for, for a little while and uh, there are developments in the underlying programs which make the, that process quicker, swifter and there's a varying degrees of the computer doing the job which once upon a time the human was doing. Um, I don't think we'll ever get away from human input, particularly in the legal world because what you're really employing lawyers to do is to apply professional judgment and um, that's based on lots and lots of things apart from sifting data and, I, and I'm a little bit skeptical every quite there yet but in dry areas of the legal industry where it's, it's prevalent and um, we're starting to see machine learning AI uh, playing an important role and uh, you, you, you touched on one um, other areas we see as a various forms of contract review which if you're dealing with standard forms can make that process swifter as well. So this is where the machine learning picks out where yeah. there's been changes, and you can you know, pick out changes. It can provide you with, with various drafts. It can um, progress some of the. Say in, when you've got a standard form of contract, computers are quite good at identifying what's changed and what's not changed. Um, coming up with standard um, standard terms and fitting those into contracts, and that's again that's relatively commonplace in certain areas of certain areas of legal world. It doesn't do away with a human and because a human ultimately has to make that professional judgment, but it can make things a little bit easier and quicker. Um, so we're starting to see that come, yeah, so come more, more commonplace now. So Paul, I mean on I think on that note we've we've covered quite a lot of ground uh, today and uh, in the course of this uh, discussion so I'd really like to Thank you for your time and thank you for everyone who's watching. Hope you've enjoyed it and see you next time. Bye.